views and opinions expressed on Explorer Secrets of the Truth or that of their guests or contributors are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. All information on Explorer Secrets of the Truth is provided in good faith, however, we make no representation or warranty of any kind, expressed or implied, regarding the accuracy, adequacy, validity, reliability, availability, or completeness of any information on this talk show or website. From monsters and ghosts to otherworldly beings, join the explorers as they venture into the darkest realm seeking the truth to what goes bump in the night. Boom, and there we go. Well, welcome to Explorer Seekers of the Truth, episode 56. Tonight, as always, I'm joined by my best friend and co-host, Lesson Cabbage. How are you doing this evening, Les? <laughs> Very good. You know, I almost didn't make it through that one without laughing. Normally, you're the one who laughs. <laughs> that was a pretty good introduction. Well, how are you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. It's been a uh, kind of difficult today trying to get uh, the studio set up because this being the first episode I get to shoot in this studio. Mm -hmm. um, it's looking good. Yeah, I was at about three o'clock throwing books on a bookshelf. <laughs> well, they out, look uh, perfectly aligned. Yeah, trying to figure out what goes in what section and how to split <laughs> the sections up. And I realized I'm just going to have to add that bottom shelf in. I can, but, I know where you're coming from, dude. I have one two bookshelves pretty pretty decent size filled to the brim and i told you about the barnes and noble sale because they're relocating i have yeah. so many new books like literally they're stacking i have a stack next to me a stack on the coffee table back there i don't know where to go with them i need another bookshelf in here and i i, I don't have room for one <laughs> well i have plenty of room it's just my uh i need to get a light hooked up in here and all this other you'll, great stuff. You'll so. get there. You'll get there. Baby steps. But it's looking yeah. good so far, man. I, I like the. I like to look behind you. It's nice and open and airy. Yeah, it's uh definitely gonna give me more room to work on stuff, and uh, kind of I'm gonna have more room for research material and equipment. So you be able to do some fun stuff out of here. So I'll tell the audience where they can reach us. Oh, yeah, I guess I got to do that part, don't I? You could, if you're tuning in on into the show tonight, you could watch us live on Facebook and YouTube as we kind of simulcast on both of those media outlets. Um, you could comment underneath the show on either Facebook or YouTube, and we should hopefully be able to see it live um, as we're going through the show. Um, you could find us on Twitter at Explorers Group. Uh, you can find us at our website, explorersgroup.com. So any one of those outlets while you're watching or, or whatever, you can get, reach out and uh, communicate. Give us some show topic ideas or if there's anybody that would like to be interviewed uh, with any kind of a special topic of interest uh, or a story that you'd like to share, we could bring you on the show and you could uh, have your, your, your conversation live. Yeah. Um, one of the things, too, with that, uh, would like to see if anybody has any good paranormal stories, um, you know, more true to life to them for 
our Halloween episode. I'd like to maybe do some story time, get some people. If there's anybody that has a good story, yep. get them on the show for that episode. So Absolutely. tonight's topic will be the we'll be covering the basic information about the subject of the Roswell incident. And then over the next two episodes, we're going to kind of get into a deeper look at the events, be it a possible cover-up by the U.S. government and the possibility that it was a Russian PSYOP. Mm. So as we go on, we're going to kind of delve into those pieces. So let's move on to our topic, the location. And, you know, being Roswell, which is funny because, of course, they say Roswell, but it is about 75 miles outside of Roswell. <laughs> yeah. You and know, in either direction. And they just, it, it's kind of like the old, um, the incident at Waco. Mm-hmm. The Branch Davidian complex is not in Waco. It's probably about 30 some minutes outside of Waco, but they always, you always heard Waco. Probably the so. closest large town to, as an identifier. Yeah, pretty much. Well, it's also where the military base was at the time. Mm. So it, it kind of lends to that name. It's the more important of the um, areas that we're going to discuss. Gotcha. And of course, this happened back in 1947. So, and it's a while ago. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going way back there. So Starting on the 1st and 2nd of July, there was a strange radar sighting that was observed by the 509th Bomb Squadron radar at the base at uh, Roswell Army Air Corps. And then on July 4th, again, they sight this, but then the object disappears off the scopes. Hmm. Interesting. Then when uh, Cowboy William Ware Mac Brazel W.W. Matt Brazel, informant of the Foster Ranch near Corona, 75 miles or 120 kilometers, as Chad likes to always point out, north of Roswell, rode out to check on his sheep the morning after a particularly violent thunderstorm in early July 1947. Uh, He and his young neighbor, D. Proctor, found a wide swath of strange debris spread across the, the prairie. So Brazel collected several pieces of wood and metal and foil that he later showed his parents and his young friend. Um, they they all had urged him to take uh, take it to the authorities and report everything. Yeah. So then on uh, Sunday, July 6th, Brazel drives into Roswell, brings his story and some of the debris to Sheriff George Wilcox at the courthouse. The sheriff wasn't particularly interested, but he did telephone the Roswell Army Airfield in case that this is, you know, indications of a a commercial plane crash or a small plane crash. So he wanted to at least alert them to the fact of the area to look. And the uh, recovered debris was gathered then by the U.S. military from um, Roswell under the direction of base intelligence officer major jesse marcel in his office next to the jail at the back of the chevez county um is where they actually stored some of the stuff for a little while Um, if you can pop up the roads photo for me yep i will see if i can find you okay here we go 
Okay. So the Rhodes UFO photo, sometimes called the shoe heel UFO photo, are two photos that were taken uh, reportedly on July 7th of 1947 by an amateur astronomer and inventor named Wilbert Albert Rhodes. The um, photographs purport to show a dislike object flying above Phoenix, Arizona. Rhodes' account and photographs were published by the Arizona Republic on July 9th. Let me try and pull that back down here. When you have too many photos, here we go. When you have too many photos in, in the uh, queue, you have to slide back and forth. And then the stuff that's in the live stream gets pushed off and you have to kind of find its own set. It's so clunky, this interface. Um, which, again, Phoenix, Arizona, like we were talking about the Arizona lights a few shows ago and stuff, which, which is kind of interesting that we're going back to 1947 now with all these different photographs of objects that are being seen. Like Arizona is just a hotbed of activity. Um, well, I think the American Southwest is in general, in general, is a very active sighting area. Mm -hmm. um, like we did discuss in like the Phoenix lights episode. In Sedona, um, Arizona. Had, yeah, you have more open space, mm -hmm. less people, less light pollution. You have more people because the weather is nice outside, mm -hmm. you know, doing stuff, you know, and they just happen to look up and see something. Uh, that's one of the things like Rhodes, he had basically said he walked out his door and was standing on his porch and looked up mm -hmm. and saw this. Just happened to have a camera close by, ran and grabbed the camera, came out, snapped the photos. And, you know, he wasn't looking for something. He just happened to notice it in the sky above him. Well, I'm impressed that the thing still hung around long enough for him to run back in, grab a photo, and come back out and still be able to see it. Because normally most of the sightings are, well, most, but not all. Because obviously, mm -hmm. like the Phoenix lights, those lights were kind of hovering and moving kind of slowly through the sky and stuff like that. So you had more time to to video video or, or photograph the, the subject. But... A lot of cases, it's like, you know, there's something there and in a flash, it's gone. So the fact that yeah. he was able to do that and get the pictures is impressive. But uh, back back on track here on July 8th, 1947, Public Information Officer Lieutenant Walter Hout issued a press release under orders from the base commander, Colonel William Blankard, um, which said basically that we have in our possession a flying saucer. And the next day, another press release was issued, this time from General Roger Ramey um, stating it was a weather balloon. That was the start of the best known and well-documented UFO cover-up. Yeah, if you want to pop up one of the uh, two newspaper articles there would kind of yes, just show everybody sir. the... Well, the first one I'll show is the newspaper article itself, and then the next picture I show, I'll show is the uh, close-up of the guy holding the debris. So as it says there, disc craze, craze continues, Army disc counts, New Mexico find as weather gear. So again, the, the one, one report issued was saying it was an unknown flying object or an unidentified flying object, and then quickly retracted and reissued as a weather balloon. And here's another, I could show a, a cleaner picture of the... Um, soldier with the debris and that i mean looking at that picture that literally looks like um 
This is the, yeah, that's the same one. Let me hide it, everyone. That's Jesse Marcel holding the cover up material that he was given to show the press. Um, one of the things, if you look at him, mm -hmm. you could just see in his eyes that whole, like, yeah, this is what I'm being told to tell you. Mm -hmm. I, I, I know better, but this is what I'm told to do, and this is my career, so I'm going to do it. And I wonder if that debris that he's holding is actual is the actual debris, because, I mean, that just looks like aluminum foil or, or like a, uh, a foil balloon. Well, no, that that is the, the his later story is that yeah, that was stuff he was given from a weather balloon to present. This uh -huh. wasn't this wasn't the evidence they collected in the field. Gotcha. Yeah, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna hide this one now. Yeah, so like Les had said, they basically issued a press statement saying they had recovered a disc. And then they quickly retract the statement and said. The crash object was just a conventional weather balloon. <laughs> so the Roswell incident wasn't widely discussed until the 1970s. Basically, when retired lieutenant colonel at this point, Jesse Marcel, in an interview with ufologist Stanton Friedman, said he believed the debris he had retrieved was extraterrestrial. <laughs> ufologists then began prompting a variety of increased and elaborate conspiracy theories about it, mm -hmm. um, claiming that one or more alien spacecrafts had crash-landed and that extraterrestrial occupants had been recovered by the military, which then engaged in a cover-up. Yeah, so it's, it's the aliens we had in, um, oh, Independence Day, when they go to Area 51 and... Uh, Brett Spiker is the crazy white-haired doctor. They yeah, had this yeah. this whole time. Which but, would be cool. Well, I mean, there's always... There's always a possibility. So we're going to get into the second crash site story, according to Kevin Randall. Yeah. So just a quick sidebar, explain who Kevin Randall is. He was an American... Or is, I'm sorry, he's not passed away. <laughs> Isn't it? Wow, what do I mean? He is a, an American ufologist. He's a science fiction writer, a historical fiction writer, and a military veteran. And within the UFO community, he's kind of regarded as one of the preeminent experts on the, the crash or of a UFO near Roswell in July of 47. He's kind of almost like the... Um, uh, what to say, like a Binder Noggle or... Uh, or a Lauren Coleman of cryptozoology. Coleman. But he's the... Yep. Yeah, he's yep. the guy. Like, he's the one who you're going to get... I, I forget exactly. He's almost the Hans Holzer of UFO stuff because I know he's written at least... A lot of stuff about it. Five or six books now on mm -hmm. UFO or on just on Roswell and different pieces of it. So you have to pick up a few of his books and get into reading them. I'll have to look at one of my shelves because I have so many goddamn books. I don't even know who I have anymore, but uh, that, that would be nice to have. I mean, considering he is from, you know, has the military background and he was involved in all that. I'd love to read some more of those reports, which again, I don't want to 
say too much because we have two other parts to the show that we have to get into. But on July 5th, an archaeological team out looking, plus a man and woman, uh, she's married, he isn't, they are not supposed to be together. So uh, they witness it, they witness something uh, flying overhead and it slams into the ground. So this is part of the second crash site story. Uh, they go to look at it, but are too drunk. Next morning, they sneak back to the area, but the archaeological team is on site and sends people to get the sheriff. So the sheriff alerts the 509th uh, branch or whatever you want to call it, the, the bomb, squadron. bomb squadron. Yeah, they dispatch a few uh, a crew of trucks. The military sets up a courtesan, so just to to stay outside of Roswell, which is 75 miles southeast of the site. So they're starting to stake their claim there at this point, you know, as these innocent drunken bystanders witness something and go back to see what was happening. And now all of a sudden the military, as usual, is doing what they do best and taking things over. Yeah. So now the next part we're going to discuss is something I found very interesting. And this is actually the daughter of one of the firefighters who was dispatched to the site mm -hmm. now at the time she was only about 12 years old so she's well within the remembering things understanding things um especially when you think about 1947 we're just coming out of world war ii you know kids grew up a little bit quicker back then mm -hmm. you know so her name was frankie Rowe, and just jump spaces here hold on one second i want to get into her reported testimony so her father did admit to a crashed object but not at the corona site okay mm -hmm. he had stated um that it was somewhere else now her reason for saying it's not that area and the story that was presented to her at the time wasn't correct. And this is a story where um, she was being interviewed and the person brings up this other site. And, you know, her thing is the Roswell Fire Department would not have responded to the Corona area. But her father did tell her the location that they had gone to. Now, if you could pull up the map that shows roswell corona and clovis i i'll bring them up if it's not if it's not the right one i'll i'll, I'll bring up the other one because it's hard to see because they're tiny little thumbnails um bring Wrong up one? the other map okay okay that's the same so one? You, oh that's it <laughs> yeah that's the one so when you look at this you can see their corona um up there to the top and then you see about the same distance going um, east, east of there would be Clovis. So now think about what is Clovis famous for? I don't um, know. What's that? I said, I don't know. You tell me. The Clovis site. The first um, human uh, or first modernist man site in north america or one of them oh yeah the clovis man yeah yeah yeah, yeah which that's, is the the clovis point yeah which and is that's, the, the, that's 
That's the Clovis they're talking about. Ah, see, I was thinking uh, that you were trying to talk about a paranormal thing there. I didn't realize it was just actual human history. So no, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's not that, that was a far. big settlement there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's only 75 miles outside of Roswell. So her recounting of the story, her father had been working, uh, basically the fire department worked these really long shifts where they would work 24 hours, be off for eight hours, or they'd work 36 straight hours and be off for 12. Mm-hmm. So she said basically later the next day or later that same day when he came home, she was in the kitchen with her mom. Mm-hmm. And her father was super excited. And it's one of the things she said, he was never excited. Like he was just a very even keel man, didn't get super excited about anything. Right. Um, so he basically comes in super excited and says, I have something I want to tell everybody, get everybody mm-hmm. in here. And her mom told him that they were cooking dinner and that they would hurry up um, to get everybody together. So her father basically does the, how long is it going to be? I have something I need to tell everybody. Yeah, yeah. So they hurry all the kids in and her father starts to tell them that they had gone on a call they thought was going to be a plane crash north of Roswell. They got called out to Blackwater Draw. Hmm. And when they got there, what they saw was not an airplane. It was a flying craft of some sort from somewhere else. And Can you imagine that coming up on that, though? Man, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So Blackwater Draw is basically just um, in the Clovis area. It's another name that they use in that area for mm-hmm. Clovis. Um, and it's, I guess, actually a draw, an old draw that's in that area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she basically goes, and I'm basically just kind of going through some of her testimony here and giving it out. Um, she said, well, we didn't ask any questions. Mother asked all the questions and we sat and listened. Mm-hmm. And her mother basically looks at him and says, what do you mean somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And the father goes into it's not an airplane it's not from this world he said the crash is like a flying saucer that they had been talking about now basically kenneth arnold's um sightings had just happened a couple months maybe a month before Mm -hmm. so of course her mom you know not to be mean but typical mom doesn't believe him (laughs) of course and he basically goes into no no i mean it we went out there earlier today. When we got there, we could see two bodies that were laying on the ground outside of this craft. And there was one, what he called a little person. He was still up walking around. They, God, that yeah, had to be awesome. That had to be awesome. Awesome and a little bit scary until he gets Oh, yeah. Way. Oh, terrifying. But, I mean, just could you imagine? Could you yeah. imagine? Yeah. So, hey, Rick. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Oh, sorry, I had to throw that in. Yeah, that is the first comment I saw pop up there. Mm-hmm. was a little nervous. Um, <laughs> so mom gets into, you know, asking what do they look like? Do they look like us? And the father said they were very small, the size of a 10-year-old child, but with a head like that 
of a little insect that they call the child of the earth. It's a little bug. They have them. They're pretty prevalent out in the Southwest. Mm. Uh, basically, the head's too large for the body. There's no hair and large eyes. And he said they were, they looked quite a bit like us, just small. Yeah. And he God said, give me chills. <laughs> yeah. He said the, so other, the other two were dead. And the other, he could, he could tell the other, the living one was very sad. Yeah. And he basically emphasized, no, is there, there is no need for us to be afraid. They're not here to hurt us. And he said, we could help, we could help them. He was very upset by, about the fact, like her dad was just super upset, like that they couldn't do anything to help these, these creatures right you know, right whatever you want to consider them um and he felt bad that he couldn't help and, and he really felt bad because he could feel he said you know there was no verbal communication but he could feel the sadness coming from the one that was still alive like how it it has lost its two companions right right and you know at that point he was you know, well into the story, and this is, you know, going on at the, the supper table. And basically, then he says, they, they'd only been on the site for a couple minutes before the military made them leave. Mm. Um, and basically, there was no grass fire, which would have, have been expected with a normal plane crash. Right, right. That yeah. area. So, well, yeah, because I guess you figure a normal, well, the plane's that we're familiar with would be loaded with jet fuel. You're going to have all the debris laying around that the fuel would, would be ignited. Like, like you said, a huge uh, inferno. Most of the UFO uh, or UAPs, whatever you want to call them, have some sort of a projectile uh, or propulsionary device or engine or whatever engine system that looks almost, or seems more almost like a, what do you want to call it? Um, Non-combustible engine. You know what I mean? Like a anti-gravity or anti-gravity pr propulsion, almost like maybe like uh, running off a of Magnus. You know how like a lot of the the mm -hmm. trains, like in uh, I think Japan has a train that runs on Magnus and it can go ridiculous speeds. Could stop at the drop of a hat, like just almost in that sense, but yet could fly. You know what I mean? But it has that anti-gravity. Uh, whatever about it you know i think that's pretty freaking crazy man like I, that would just blow my mind if i just came upon that that wreckage obviously you're seeing it's some sort of a craft that's not of this earth you have mm. two deceased beings and another one sitting there mourning the loss and, and probably doesn't know what the hell is going on like oh my god i couldn't i couldn't even imagine like how how do you react to that you know it's insane but uh back on track here i'm kind of diverted there but a few days later while at the fire station with her father a state police officer asked her father to gather the firefighters he had something to show them he said i don't think you guys got to see anything like this the other day he removed a piece of material and dropped it on the table in a wad in a wad and when it hit the table it spread open like it was water he was asked how 
um, he was asked, how did you come by this? And he stated that he had been helping with the cleaning up of the debris and managed to sneak it out of the area. He said that he didn't know how long he could, he would get to keep it. And everyone who had got caught was forced to give up what they had. Um, Kevin Randall was interviewed four has interviewed four dozen people who had contact with this strange foil like material. They tried to burn it. It wouldn't burn. They tried cutting it. They couldn't cut it. Felt like nothing in your hand would, uh, and it would fold up into, into a small ball or whatever. And then you drop it and it would spread right back out again, which is interesting. So it's virtually indestructible, other than, I guess, crashing it into the earth would kind of do some damage, you know, at a yeah. high I would imagine. Um, then it felt, and then these people uh, who had. Scrapped aluminum foil, scraped aluminum foil off of stuff for the war effort. So, their experience with that, they had experience with that kind of material, and but not to this extent. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty interesting that they would find this material or, or sneak out this material, and it had these odd properties to it. I wonder what ever happened to that. Well, allegedly. There is a piece of the Roswell material that is in a private research group's uh, possession. Mm. And of course, is it real? Is it some fake piece of something, you know, that they just have out there and they're just saying it's, you know, it came from Roswell, but they, they believe it came from Roswell. Mm. So... Now, to kind of finish up with uh, Frankie Rowe's story, and I, I know I'm going to be jumping off the notes here a little bit, but two days, weeks later, she was at home with her mom. Her dad was at work, and a military vehicle pulls up, and a gentleman gets out of the vehicle, comes into the house, speaks to the mother, and says, well, I need, I need to talk to your daughter. And so the, she comes in and she goes to sit down on the couch. He goes, no, you're not going to sit. We're going to go in the kitchen. You're going to stand. We're going to talk mm. or the dining room. So he takes her in there and he basically asks her about being at the firehouse. He says, were you the one at the firehouse? She says, yes. He's like, what did you see? She starts telling him all this stuff about them trying to cut it, them trying to burn it, them folding it up, dropping it, and spreading out. Um, you know, all the stuff that they had witnessed with it. Right. The man looks at her and says, no, you didn't. And of course, she's a 12-year-old girl. She's like very, you know, her. she was always known as being very honest and truthful. She's like, yes, I did. And he's going through the no you didn't mm. did not see any of this you've never touched any of this you don't know anything about this you weren't even at the firehouse right, and she right. Goes, but i was and i did and you know she goes <laughs> she's combating she's a 12 year old yeah yeah, yeah. An adult. so she's combating everything he says and the guy eventually looks at his mom and is like is she dumb <laughs> she's not catching on obviously yeah. and the mom's like no 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 you have to explain to her what you want. Mm -hmm. So the guy goes into the fact of 
okay, what I want you to do from now on is you weren't at the firehouse, okay? Yeah. You didn't see anything, okay? Yeah. You're never to talk about this again as long as you live because as long as you live, we will be able to get you. As he's saying this, he has a club in his hand, a billy club, and he's beating it on his other palm. Wow. And intimidating her. So he basically goes through it all with her again. She's like, nope, never was there. Da, 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 da. Basically says to the mom, you know, this is never spoke of again. This never happened. So the guy is going on about it, you know, basically closing up everything he's doing. And he basically, one of the last things he says to her is, it's not hard to make you disappear. He's, and there was, um, there was a German prisoner of war camp and a Japanese prisoner of war camp that weren't too far away. He's right, like, right. I can make your whole family disappear. I can send you to the Japanese camp and your mom and dad to the German camp. Nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever talk about you. Nobody will ever discuss you existed. Then he turns and looks at her and says, or we're in the middle of the desert. People disappear all the time. Now, she's a 12-year-old that the, this military officer is basically threatening. That's horrible. Yeah, so you got to imagine she went pretty much her entire life until she was much older. Mm -hmm. When I say much older, um, she's probably almost in her 70s at the point she actually talked about it. Jesus. Yeah. And, and basically when she was in her 70s, she just got to the point where people had um, basically figured out who her dad was. Mm -hmm. and knew he had been part of the fire department who had went to the Blackwater draw. Right. So basically eventually started asking around to try to get, she had moved out of the area and everything. And, you know, basically got to the point where I believe it was Kevin Randall finally contacted her and she just happened to be driving to see her daughter and had to come back through the Roswell area. Like from point A to point B, just happened to go by there through Roswell. So she agreed to sit down and talk to him. And that's when the story earlier started with me giving her testimony on it was, he describes the whole uh, Mac Brazel debris field army, you know, stuff like that mm -hmm. being Corona. And that's when she basically points out to him, no, her dad wouldn't have went to Corona. Roswell wouldn't have responded to a fire, even, you know, unless it was a major fire, they wouldn't have responded to Corona. Going out right. towards Clovis, they would have responded. So that's how she basically figures in all this. And I mean, she said, you know, I've seen some interviews with her and she's had gotten older. And when she finally talked about it, this woman cries. Like when she talks about it, like when she tells a story about the guy coming to threaten her and her family, mm -hmm. I mean, she is like sobbing, wiping tears from her eyes, completely 
if she's lying about that incident, even just that piece of it, she needs an Academy Award. Jeez. Like, it's 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 Oscar-worthy. Like, if DiCaprio mm. got one for Revenant, she, if she's lying and this is acting, she deserves one for that testimony in a documentary. Hmm. Um, you know, and basically, her kids even got mad at her. Like, when she finally discussed it and the information kind of got released out to the public, they were like, Mom, why didn't you say anything? And she's like, I never said anything to anybody yeah. after that day. She's like, we didn't discuss it at home. We never. When it came out in, you know, the 70s that it started to become popular again, she's like, I, I just never brought it up. I never talked about it. I would, she'd see stuff pop up about it and she would just move on with her life. Mm. So she definitely, there was something going on there. There was definitely something, you know, whether it was a UFO or as we get into later episodes and we discuss some of the other possibilities on this, you know, she definitely, she experienced something. Right, right. So like we had said earlier, basically Roswell is, is forgotten until about 1978. So you go from 47 to 78, you know, nothing really. It was yeah. a headline made world news and the retraction came out and within a day or two it was out of the media you know back then the media scope wasn't what it is today it's not gonna you know be on tmz and then fox news and cnn and then you know shared fifteen thousand times on some social media platform this was it made headlines they covered it there was a retraction it died Right. Except right. for the people who lived in the area. It was a dead topic. Mm. So, you know, of course, in 78, the sensationalist National uh, Enquirer reprinted the original uncorrected article from July 8th of 1947. And in February of 78, the Mar um, retire, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Marcel's interview with Stanton Friedman. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's when he, Marcel said, I believe the Roswell debris was extraterrestrial. Right. So getting into who Jesse Antonio Marcel Sr. was. So he was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force who had helped the administration of Operation Crossroads. Mm -hmm. Excuse me one second. Yep. So Operation Crossroads is the famous 1946 atomic bomb testing mm -hmm. on the Pena Atoll. And he later goes on, um, continues up through the military. You know, he was a major at the time, makes lieutenant colonel. Um, now, he was, during World War II, um, he did work in intelligence, aerial um, surveillance and stuff, whatever they considered it back then, but aerial surveillance. He knew what airplanes looked like. He was trained on all this stuff. He was trained to find, you know, looking at photos to find debris fields, to find signs of something crashing. So 
he definitely was somebody who wouldn't mistake a weather balloon for something extraterrestrial. Right, right. You know, he would have have had knowledge of pretty much high-level knowledge of even secret, you know, government equipment. Now, you know, he wouldn't have maybe been super read in on everything, but he would have a knowledge of our balloon programs and stuff like that. Right. So, do you want me to pick up my part there? (laughs) Um, I didn't know if you were done that that part of the Marcel. No, you can you you can cover some of that. That would be fine. Okay. So then, on December nineteenth of nineteen seventy nine, Marcel was interviewed by Bob Pratt of the National Enquirer, and on February twenty eighth, nineteen eighty, the tabloid brought large scale attention to the Marcel story. So on September. So, uh, wait, on September 20th, 1980, the TV series In Search Of aired an interview where Marcel described his participation in the 1947 press conference. They wanted some comments from me, but I wasn't at liberty to do that. So all I could do was keep my mouth shut. And General Ramey uh, is the, the one who discussed and told the newspapers, I mean the newsmen, what it was and to forget about it. Is nothing more than a weather observation balloon. Of course, we both knew differently, according to Marcel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, he, it, it, like I said in that photo, you can just see he's somebody who's been told not to. Yeah, yeah. Go. Just like that little girl. Yeah, they're going to, yeah. you know, use the scare tactics to try and shut people up. And I'm sure there's, Anybody, you know, within that vicinity that had any kind of interaction or, or inclination of that, it wasn't what it, what they're trying mm. to say it was. They're, they were probably all, you know, forced mm. into uh, secrecy. Yeah. So now you get into uh, Marcel's son, Jesse Marcel Jr. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he spent 35 years starting in 47 kind of into this incident but mm-hmm. not necessarily able to div- divulge everything he knew right right um so he was 10 years old at the time and of course just like the the state trooper his dad had actually brought home um and shown them uh, some of the alien debris recovered from the crash site interesting and one of the things that he had brought up was that there was a small beam with like a purple hue to it mm-hmm. and what appeared to be like hieroglyphics interesting interesting um now one of the things that people point to is around that time there was tape that was sold mm-hmm. at basically like basically sold all over the country that had hieroglyphics on it. It was regular like uh crafting tape. Yeah, yeah. And it basically did have hieroglyphics on it. That's one of the things people kind of always point to and they go w- when going with the company line of it was a crashed weather balloon. 
yeah. Basically, the government says, oh, those hieroglyphics that he talks about, well, that was a common crafting tape that was sold back then. We just happened to use it on some of our equipment because it was what we had available. Well, you know, in between missions, a lot of the soldiers back then like to do crafting in their spare time when they're at the, at the base. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, could, I could totally see a, a crafting tape being a mistaken or, or, or a common thing just lying around that they would just happen to grab. Well, and also you'd think if it was so widely used in America at that time, you think a 10-year-old boy wouldn't wouldn't have known the difference like he would have probably either in school or at home the local five in the ten, store yeah. yeah yeah obviously that 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 doesn't hold any weight there but uh just a another cheap cop out to try and uh <clears throat> cover up the facts you know but according to a 1994 Air Force report produced in response to a congressional inquiry into the Roswell incident, the material recovered by Marcel was likely debris from Project Mogul, a then-sensitive classified project whose purpose was to determine the state of so Soviet nuclear weapons research uh, using high-altitude balloons. So during June and July in 47, Mogul balloons had been test launched at um, Alamogordo Army Airfield, now Holloman AFB Air Force Base, and uh, White Sands Missile Range. Air Force Declassification Officer Lieutenant James McAndrew concluded uh, when the civilians and personnel from Roswell Air Force, uh, Army Air Force Base, stumbled upon the highly classified project and collected the debris, no one at Roswell had a need to know about information concerning Mogul. This fact, along with the initial misidentification and subsequent rumors that the uh, capture of a flying disc occurred, ultimately left people with unanswered questions that have endured to this day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so of course they point to another program and say that's you know, you, it wasn't need to know at that point. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, Project Mogul did go on for a little while until they figured out that it was a lot easier to spy on the Russian uh, nuke programs um, in a different manner, mm -hmm. basically using some other technologies. So it wasn't a long-running program. It probably only ran for about a year or two until they figured out there's a seismic uh, using seismographs to, yeah. you know, find the uh, detonations and stuff like that, and aerial qu air quality stuff. Which so not, not not to cut you off there, but it just kind of made me think. <clears throat> it, it's kind of similar. They're they're trying to say, oh, we use these weather balloons to spy, but isn't that what China just did not that long ago? Oh <laughs> so yeah, these weather balloons over to, to spy on everything. Yeah, you, you basically say, oh, we're, we're researching weather mm -hmm. and weather patterns. And then you launch these balloons. Uh, China's just didn't fly high enough. Mm -hmm. You know, Mogul and some of these projects were very high altitude projects. Yeah, yeah. But again, I just thought it was funny, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it was like, oh, yeah, the weather balloons, like China's using that old technology. <laughs> yeah, it... Again, 
I don't care how advanced the weather balloon is. Mm -hmm. You're not going to mistake a balloon for a flying saucer or um, shoe heel UFO sticking out of the ground. Oh, no, not sticking out of the ground. Now, if it is high altitude and the balloon is big enough, I think they were saying like the the Chinese balloons were like a as wide as a bus or as wide as several buses or something like that. Very, very large. But you see that up in the sky, <clears throat> you know, from a, from a, an extreme distance. You're not going to know what the hell that thing is at first, you know. So I could see, I could see the uh, misidentification at high altitude, but on the ground, mm. absolutely not. Yeah, yeah you're not going to. Yeah, that. And, and when you're looking at it, these are people who are saying, "We saw something sticking out of the ground." You know, the, out at um, the Foster Ranch, it's more of a debris field where something skidded across the ground. Yeah. Um, well, kind of like the, the the cover image for our show, I'll bring it up. Like, they're talking more like, now that, that is a crashed craft in the background, even though you can't really mm -hmm. see too much. But that's that's kind of along the lines of what they're describing is something embedded into the earth, sticking mm -hmm. up you know, so, uh, a, a circular disc, not pieces of aluminum foil just strewn about, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can, you can say it was a balloon, but it, it's very hard to swallow when you have eyewitnesses saying, no, we saw three people. We saw three beings. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Kind of looking at Marcel as, as a person, you know, he, you know, later in his career is with uh, Strategic Air Command. You know, he's promoted to the rank of Lieutenant Colonel, and he's with the 509th um, at Walker Army Air Force Base until August of 48 when he's transferred to Strategic Air Command at Andrews Air Force Base. Um, now, when he's at Strategic Air Command, uh, he transfers to uh, a base out in Nebraska, and then he, you know transfers around a little bit. And after, in about nineteen July of fifty, he requested a uh, hardship discharge and returned home to Louisiana. And you know was released from active duty, and then transferred to the Air Force Reserves, and was finally discharged in nineteen fifty eight. So, you know, he had been through World War II, had still been serving in, in the intermediate time between World War II and the I mean, he's almost up to the Vietnam War. He's in the military. Right, right. And he's kind of rewarded in a lot of ways. Like, he takes the, the, the fall for misidentifying the weather balloon. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those like take the fall. We'll, we'll get you know we'll get you back for it. We'll give you something in the long run. Not saying the man didn't deserve to be promoted, but you know eventually gets promoted. Yeah, gets transferred you know to some like strategic air command. Very cushy gig. He's in Nebraska for a while. You know basically gets his hardship discharge 
granted instantly for his elder to take go home and take care of his elderly mother mm-hmm. and then does you know basically eight years in the reserves i'm sure he had some you know cushy details while he was there so he, he definitely i i think it's one of those things like hey you know what you know we're gonna give you some benefit for eating the crow on this one yeah 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 Yeah, we it's not going to happen right away but down the road you're going to get reward yeah so that's probably why they let him go for that hardship and stuff like that it's like all right look you know you kind of went through the the crap here so go do your thing whatever we're going to take care of you we're going to put you and your mom up or whatever and uh you know then i what did he come back oh no he he received his final discharge in 1958 so 10 Mm -hmm. years 11 years after the initial incident yeah he's probably set up pretty well to retire and not have to worry about doing anything after that yeah he had a basically i think about a uh 17 year military career Mm -hmm. at that point he had been you know he actually went to um his military schooling post was in um Carlisle, PA. Oh, no shit. That's pretty yeah. cool. That was where one of the aerial reconnaissance uh, schools was back for World War II. Hmm. Carlisle. Awesome. Yeah, he was there. Close to home. Mm-hmm. Well, we were very close to it last uh, Saturday. That's true. That's true. 20 minutes down the road. But, As we were sweating ourselves to near death walking yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. Fun, Even though. Near- I do yeah, it again. Yeah, great time. Even the air conditioning in stores wasn't cutting it though. <laughs> oh yeah, you could tell it was fighting. It was fighting to yeah. keep, keep up with the heat. So now on the next episode, we're gonna break it. We're gonna break into a deeper look at parts of the events, the possible mm-hmm. cover up, the fact that this could also be completely a Russian psyop. Mm-hmm. So, and one of the great things I love to do because I'm so good at it. I'm going to create a crazy theory. A Charlesworth theory of the Roswell incident? Of the Roswell incident. Oh, I can't wait. And then we're going to start sharing it to the general population like we know it's true. So I expect everybody to be part of this (laughs) to just go, yeah, it makes complete sense. Chad said it. (laughs) Hey, you had the Charlesworth theory for the Jotlov Pass, which was... Mm-hmm. Hard to refute that one. That's, you, it, for anybody who doesn't know about that, go back, go to our website, explorersgroup.com, and, and go through our live shows uh, tab and uh, find the Jotlov Pass show and, and learn about the Charlesworth theory of the Jotlov Path and, or Pass, I mean. And there is also the Charlesworth theory of discovering what the Jersey Devil most likely was. So you have to go back and, and listen to that one too. And, uh, <laughs> find out what the Charlesworth theory is on that. But uh, yes, so there, there, is a, there is definitely a lot more that we could dive into um, for the Roswell incident, and I am very much looking forward to that. So we were supposed to go live last week. We had technical issues, big shocker. <laughs> so we went live today. So for anybody, we have one person watching right now. <laughs> um, 
we plan on going live again next week, which would be it's so hard to see. Twenty fifth. So Tuesday the twenty fifth, we will go live for part two of the Roswell incident. So hopefully everybody could tune in. I'm gonna set that show up tonight and we could start sharing it around so that way hopefully more people are aware because I think what happened tonight, we set the show up for last week. I think everybody thought we were going to go live, and then I had to update it. So I don't think uh, anybody was getting notifications for that, which kind of stinks. But, hey, what can you do? Um, so, yes, we are going to go live next week, the 25th. The show will be um, set up tonight and out for everybody to see. Um, otherwise, thank you for those who did tune in. Rick. You know, if you're still there listening, buddy, we thank you for tuning in as always. Um, and for those who might tune in later, join us next week, the 25th, for part two of the Roswell incident. Chad, we have two minutes left, so we are on actually on time for, for closing out the show tonight. So thank you as always for putting the show this show together um, and, and probably the next two parts for this. Um, after that, after the the um jesus i'm drawing a blank the roswell incident uh third part if it's okay with you i'd like to maybe look into the bridgewater triangle up in massachusetts actually i'd love to do okay that. so very you, interesting Pat. you guys heard it officially right now so we're gonna have roswell incident part two next week the 25th two weeks after that we'll have roswell incident part three and then two weeks after that, we're going to jump into the Bridgewater Triangle of Massachusetts. So, again, Chad, thank you, brother. It was great seeing you over the weekend. Uh, yeah, it was nice seeing you, too. Nice seeing everybody. Good. Yeah, very good to have the uh, show tonight. I'm glad we were able to do it. This is a great topic, one that I've always loved, the Roswell incident. So, looking forward to next week. I can't wait to hang out with you again, brother. Uh, good show. Yeah, man, great. It was great hanging out with you guys. Um, like it was nice seeing you guys all over the weekend. Mm -hmm. It was fun. We were in Gettysburg. We got to slump around in the 99 degree heat indexed weather. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was great. It was fun. Got that I ice cream. The kids loved it. They got oh, to see yeah. their uncle Chad and Analysia, so they were very, very happy about that. Yeah, it was great. It was nice seeing them. They're all getting so big so quick. Yeah, too big, too fast. But all right, brother, it was a pleasure. Everybody who tuned in and anybody who may tune in, thank you guys for watching and supporting the show. We will see you guys next week on the 25th. Good night. Night, night. <laughs>